Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Wealth destroyers. No, they, they aren't the latest Marvel comic heroes or villains. They are basic facts of life that can demolish your savings and drain your hard-won investment gains. Your host, Chris DeRoe, explains how to deal with taxes, inflation, fees, and overreacting to the market. Chris? Thanks, Patrice. Yeah, it's a pretty strong name, Wealth Destroyers, but I couldn't think of anything else that really, that's really what, it, what they can do. So today I just wanted to chat about what some of those common ones are. And I, I was actually thinking this the other day. So if, if any of the listeners, you have kids, you'll, you'll kind of understand this example. Kids, especially young ones, they like to, at least mine do. I know I, I quite a few do. They like to build forts, um, usually out of like bed sheets or pillows or other materials around the house or even like a cool snow fort. So you see all the effort they put into these forts. And then all of a sudden they have a sibling come along and tries to destroy it. But the child that had built the fort is doing everything possible they can to protect it from these outer forces destroying it. And I actually thought of this example the other day when my youngest was homesick from school and she had built a fort in the family room and did everything she could to prevent her brother from smashing it. Well, building wealth and keeping wealth is kind of the same thing. And you should try to protect it from destructive forces as such. And I just wanted to go over some of the more common ones today. So the four biggest ones are taxes, inflation, fees, and overreactions to the markets. And I'll start with the biggest one, which is taxes, since it's the biggest impediment to wealth accumulation. How your investments are taxed, it depends on the type of investment and the account in which you hold the investments. Interesting income, dividend income, and capital gains or losses are all taxed differently. But with a proper tax strategy, you can take advantage of those differences. So the first thing to note is that investments inside a registered account, such as an RSP or a tax-free savings account, they're treated differently than those that are held in an unregistered or non-registered uh, investment account. Any income earned by these investments in your registered accounts, they, they grow tax-free and they're tax-sheltered. Now, the difference in the tax treatment of the investment income disappears in those accounts. But when your investment income is taxed, depends on which type of registered account they're in. So I'll just touch on that briefly. Like with an RSP, the money grows tax deferred. And then when you pull the money out in retirement, you're taxed on that income as, as though it's 100% taxable, kind of like the same way your, your current paycheck is. And many people will ask me, well, is investing in RSP, is it worth it since you're taxed on it when it comes out in retirement? And I've even had retirees, like they start pulling the money out um, in retirement. They're like, can you remind me, like, why did I start putting money 20 years ago in this? Because now I have this tax bill to pay. And the answer is yes, it is worth it because you are deferring tax and there's a big value on that. And you're deferring it until a more tax efficient time. So the ideal scenario for an RSP is you're at a higher level of income when you're working compared to when you retired, you're in a lower income tax bracket. 
So you put the money in now, you get the tax refund, the money grows tax deferred for many years, then you pull it out at a lower tax rate and you win. So if you're in, but however, if your income is the same or lower now than it will be then in retirement, well, then the tax-free savings account is where you'd want to be looking at putting your money. So like ideally, if you're at a higher income, you contribute to both, but tax-free account, savings accounts, they're very valuable in the sense that it's also the only way you can invest money and have it grow tax-free, then pull it out tax-free. So nothing else does that. And so many people need, uh, they don't necessarily take advantage of that. It's a very valuable tool. So I just wanted to explain the difference there between the two accounts that can defer tax, such as the RSP and well, the tax for savings accounts, just, there's no tax. One other common mistake that I'll see people make with tax-free savings accounts is they just have them in high interest savings accounts. So many people have these accounts and they're only making like, especially in these, these relatively lower interest rate environments, they're not making very much. And a tax-free savings account, it should be invested in like securities or something that will get you a healthy return. Now, of course, this needs to align with your comfort and risk level and time horizon, all that. But I want to get the point across that it needs to be making more than one or 2% year after year, because really making 1% tax-free, sure, I guess it helps, but it's sure not going to help very much. And you're not getting the true value out of that account. Whereas if you're getting a healthy return, it's obviously much more valuable to you. It increases your net worth much more. And I'm going to also explain why that's important when I talk about inflation and why just making 1% or 2% of TFSA is not going to really help a ton. So the point is here is that TFSAs are extremely important in preserving your wealth. And if you can, even if you can do 50 bucks a month on contributing, it's better than nothing. The name on those I wish was called tax-free investment accounts because a lot of people uh, don't really understand the true value of it. And I get so many times people asking like, well, I can, can I only use it for a like a savings account? Can I invest it in something more aggressive? And the answer is absolutely, and you should. Okay, so now for investments not held in registered accounts, such as the TFSAs and RSPs, and hopefully that was a quick, good enough summary on explaining those two. The investments are in non-registered or unsheltered accounts. You simply pay income taxes on the money you earn. Now, one of the main factors that determines how much tax is paid in a non-registered investment account is, is the asset allocation. So the amount of taxes you pay depends on the type of income you've earned. After-tax returns can be improved by basically choosing the investments that are more favorably taxed. So let me explain that in a little bit more detail. The three different areas of earning, or earning investment income is interest income, dividend income, capital gains income. So I'll explain the, the three different types. Interest income, um, you can earn interest from many sources, like even from your bank account, a GIC bond, or even a mutual fund that just hold interest paying investments. The in income is fully, interest income is fully taxed. So basically simplest way to explain it is $1 of interest is considered $1 income. So you're being taxed fully on that. Therefore, out of the three I just mentioned, this is the least favorable tax to the investor. Uh, dividend income, if you own common or preferred shares in a taxable Canadian corporation or own units of a mutual fund that invests in such common and preferred shares, you will probably have dividend income, which rates, which the rates in that are much more favorable than interest income. 
And what dividends are is they're cash payments to shareholders of a corporation made from the corporation's profits. So that means the dividend income you receive, it's already been taxed once in the hands of the corporation. In order to avoid paying taxes twice in the same amount of money, these dividends are taxed differently than interest income. That's really all you need to kind of know on this. I'm not going to get into the gross up and tax credits and all that stuff on dividends. It's just basically it's taxed more favorable than interest income, which makes it more attractive. Why I emphasize Canadian corporation at the beginning of that was dividends from foreign companies. They're not eligible for this. So that's just what I want to touch on there. Capital gains. Only half of a capital gains realized. So when investments sold at a profit, it's taxed investors' full marginal tax rate, but you're only taxed on half of that. For this reason, capital gains is the preferred method since you get more after-tax money in your pocket. Now, there's other factors as well, too. I'm just talking from a strict tax perspective. All right, so let me just give you an example of each of the, the last three I just spoke about of interest income, dividend, and capital gains, just to kind of simplify this. So usually I don't like to go through numbers on, on podcasts because it can get a bit confusing, but I'm just going to keep this simple. So let's say we've made $10,000 in investment return for each of the three, the three that I just mentioned, uh, interest, income, dividend, capital gains, and the investors in the top marginal tax rate for Ontario. So after tax income you would have made from interest income is out of the 10,000 is you get to keep $4,647. For eligible dividends, you would have received out of the $10,000 after tax, $6,066. And for the capital gains, you would have kept $7,324. So you can see that after tax capital gains is the most favorable way here to make a return on your investments from that point of view. I could do a whole podcast on other common tax saving opportunities to not to, to protect and not destroy your wealth, but I'll just touch on a few. So Tax loss selling, you can sell investments that are in a loss position in order to offset capital gains realized in the current year or previous three years. Contributing to an RESP, which is a great way to, to, to increase net worth, especially for your kids' education. I just did a podcast on this. It's actually episode 35 if you want more info specific on just this. And this is a plan for your child's education. It allows an opportunity for tax deferral. And in many cases, actually tax-free because the money is taxed in the child's hand and most of them don't have any income when they go to school or they have very little income. So a lot of times the money actually does go tax-free. And on top of the tax savings, it offers government grants that you receive and they go into the investment and they also get to grow tax-deferred. So that's another way there. Um, you can uh, Donations, you can make a donation to a registered charity or foundation and you're going to be entitled to a donation tax credit for the amount given. If you pool your donations with your spouse or common law partner and it's over 200 bucks, you're also getting a higher donation tax credit. Contribute to an RDSP. This is so for this, Canadians eligible to receive the disability tax credit, their parents or other eligible contributors can contribute to this for them, as well as themselves once they're older. Depending on family income, it may be possible they can receive up to $70,000 in grants and another $20,000 in bonds, all from the, the government. I'll just touch on this. I just had a new client. She's turning 49 this year. We just did this. And going through everything, she tells me she has a disability tax credit, but she's never even opened an RDSP. So you're able to go back quite a few years, as long as you've had the disability tax credit, a couple other things, and she was eligible for that. And... She asked me three times when I told her the amount that she had deposited and the amount she was getting back, she was shocked at the grants she was going to be receiving. 
And the reason why this is so important this year for her is because she's 49 this year. And once you turn 50, you lose eligibility of getting those grants. So if you have or can, if you have a disability tax credit, it's just really important to open up an RD. Another, I'll always touch on this. If somebody wants more information on this, we did a podcast on this with Fred Ryle, who's the expert in RDSPs and that, and that's episode 37, income splitting. So for people that are in a higher tax bracket, it might be beneficial for them to have some of the investment income tax in the hands of other family members, such as a common law partner or spouse, potentially children as well, but you have to be careful of attribution on that. So anyone in a lower tax bracket, that could make sense. And to avoid that attribution, you can lend the money to the family members and and, and just make sure that you're charging interest on that loan and at the prescribed government's rate, which is currently 1%, um, but that changes as interest rates change. So I'm not gonna touch anymore, but as you can see, for people to review their overall tax planning strategy with a tax professional, it makes the most of all these opportunities available. And it's tough for you to, to know this because each year or so, there's new savings and investment vehicles and credits and tax policy changes that come in effect. And you wanna make sure you're taking advantage of all of them. So like taxes are the biggest expense someone is ever gonna pay over their lifetime. And it's very important to stay on top of that so it doesn't necessarily destroy your wealth and what you've worked so hard to accumulate. So Patrice, taxes is a big one that I, I was a little long-winded on that one, but it's just really important to pay attention to that. And like, it just, you have to have a professional helping with you that, with that. It's not as simple as enough. You just take your tax return to your accountant and talk to them once a year, you, your advisor, your accountant, you need planning on that because it's one of the biggest bills you're ever going to have. So you want to be able to find ways to minimize that. And as you say, it takes planning too. But now you mentioned inflation and inflation is becoming a worry now. Tell us more about that. Yeah, inflation is definitely a word that we're hearing a lot in the media and we're hearing it all over the place. And we're not, it's not even hearing it. Just go bag, just go buy a, a bag of groceries or go fill your gas tank. Uh, there's, you're seeing the effects there. And the reason is we're at, I don't know if people realize this, like they know it's high, but we're actually at 30 year highs. Inflation has not been this high for 30 years. So that's a big deal. Why is inflation bad? Well, as inflation goes up, the cost of goods goes up, which eats people's cash flow. And as a result of high inflation, what do governments just do? They just did this. They raise interest rates to try and cool the economy. And as a result of that, well, now people's debt payments increase since the interest cost goes up, which also as well eats into people's free cash flow. So how do you make sure your money keeps its purchasing power with inflation and interest rates and that going up? Well, your investments must generate a return that exceed, like that is it going to exceed the effects of taxation and inflation. So you're, you, you want your net return of your investments to be higher than inflation. And uh, we, we saw this as actually an issue over COVID because many people had increased savings in their bank accounts and they just left them there. And if you don't plan on spending the money for quite a while, you would have been better to actually invest it. Now, of course, that has to be applicable with your risk level, time horizon, all that stuff. But the reason is like many people think, okay, I don't want to invest because there's risk. And yes, they're right. I'm going to be talking about this in a little bit. There is market risk. But if you have a sum of money in the bank that you know will be sitting there for a long time, well, you're exposed to inflation risk since that money isn't making anything and you're losing the purchasing power of it sitting in the bank account. So Patrice, it's not just market risk that you need to pay attention to. There's risk on both sides. Since 
there's risk of your cash losing its purchasing power over time. And that's how inflation can destroy your wealth. So you, you got to try and stay ahead of the inflation. But inflation is such, such an amorphous thing. How can you stay ahead? Well, it's not, obviously it's not easy, but there is in regards to like from an investment perspective, there is certain investments that you can put your money in that will somewhat, they will hedge inflation or you'll hear some of the terms inflation protection, like is your portfolio inflation protection, which is, we'll throw those keywords out. There's nothing guaranteed, but some of the, some of the assets that can be a hedge is like real estate is one, whether you own it directly or in a private equity type fund. And I went over this. Uh, private equity and the importance of that in portfolios right now in my recent podcast, episode mm-hmm. 41, and that was labeled investments your portfolio might be missing. And even private debt, it has some inflation protection as well, which is in that same episode, because as inflation goes up, well, so does interest rates, as we just mentioned, usually because governments want to do that to cool the inflation rates. And as those rates go up, well, so does the interest rates on lending. And this is now incorporating the loans of the private debt, which means this also hedges inflation. Commodities, they've long been considered a hedge against inflation, which is logical because inflation should generally cause the cost of goods to increase in price. And then energy and precious metals, like they, are, they have some of the highest positive correlation inflation over history. So those are just some of the things that you can have in your portfolio to make sure that you have some protection in regards to that. And those assets right now are quite popular because of the environment that we're in. All right. Now you mentioned fees. What kind of fees? Um, when it's fees, it's, I'm just talking all fees in regards to like the, the portfolio costs, portfolio management, all of that. And um, fees, I just wanted to touch on because it can affect your wealth depending on the portfolio. So what I mean by that is you can't just look at the overall fee and say, oh, that fee's high. You need to compare it like anything, apples to apples. Like So for example, if you have two funds or a portfolio and the fee is lower on one than the other and the asset allocation, everything's quite similar, then yes, if it's apples to apples and fees can have, have an impact. Basically fees can, they can impede the accumulation of your wealth, but in the absence of return. So what I mean by that is if I have one portfolio, say its cost is 1%. And the return in the last year is 7%. But another portfolio with the same risk level costs or advisory costs is 1.5%. But it only returned 5%. So 2% less than the cheaper portfolio fee-wise. Well, then, yeah, fee is definitely important. But on the other hand, if it's reversed and the cheaper portfolio returned much less then the difference in the increase of the fee on the more expensive portfolio, well, now the increased fee becomes irrelevant. So you can't just look at, and also too, you can't just look at a one-year return to justify an increased cost, but you get the idea. Like I would have no problem paying half a percent more if the portfolio was outpacing the cheaper investment option consistently by much more than that half a percent I'm paying. And that's not just, the, the important thing with that is that's not just in the up market. This goes the other way, meaning that if markets fall and the increased cost for the portfolio drops much less than the cheaper portfolio, well, there's value in that. And that's important to pay attention to that as well on the other end, not just going up. And then I think the question comes, how do you find out what these fees are? Well, I, if mutual funds are simple. The MER is, you can just simply Google the fund or pull up the fund facts. It's going to show you the cost of that. 
if you're in fee-based or discretionary platforms, then you're seeing the fees each month and your advisor will be disclosing, like when you sign forms to change accounts or like that, you're seeing the, the fees right in front of you. So that's how you can compare and or, or if you forget, then you just simply ask your advisor or if you're at the bank or anywhere else, like I said, you're most likely in just mutual funds and you can just Google that yourself. It's called the MER, the management expense ratio, and that shows you the fees on the overall portfolio. All right. Like for price, it's simple for many, and this is the problem. So for price, it's simple for many things in life that you can directly compare. Like for example, if I'm going to go buy a new pickup truck, a Ford F-150, I can take that spec sheet of everything I want and I can go from Ford dealer to Ford dealer until I get the lowest price. Yes, price makes a big difference. Fees there makes a big difference, but it is directly apples to apples. With portfolios and investment management, it's important to pay attention to the fee, but you shouldn't just base your decision on which investments go to to go to with just because it's the cheapest. Like I'm not just going to just well that's this advisor or firm or or mutual funds the cheapest, so I'm just going to just definitely pick that one. There's so many other factors, and the other thing to consider is I'm mentioning four wealth destroyers here today. So if you're at a certain institution and pay the regular fees for your investments, but they're not assisting you with any planning to avoid these wealth destroyers or they don't have access to private debt or equity and they just have you in-house regular investments, very little communication. Well, that's something to consider as well since you could be getting much better planning in regards to your portfolio for the same fee. And yeah, in that scenario, if you're just paying the same fees and not getting planning to help you with taxes and estate plan, all this other stuff that can add significant more wealth to your, your net worth, well, yeah, fees can definitely have an impact there. So that's what I wanted to touch on with that. Excellent. And then of course, there are emotions and oh. reacting, reacting to the markets, which has been probably a challenge for a lot of people lately. Yes, this is definitely, uh, this is definitely good to chat about right now because we're, we're living this right now. So market uncertainty it can naturally cause panic and lead to poor investment decisions for sure. But by recognizing the short-term market uncertainty for what it is, you can help ensure that it doesn't derail your long-term financial plan, like just not reacting initially because there is a long-term plan. You have to look at that. So whether we like it or not, investing in risk, they're a package deal. Like you're not getting one without the other. The, the key to long-term investment success is just basically to manage your exposure to risk by using time and diversification to your advantage. So like, let's, for many times, let's use an example. Many times when the markets fall, like in March, 2020, people are inundated by doom and gloom from the media, markets crashing, everything's crashing, and it causes even more stress and panic. Many times people want to make a big move on their portfolio because that will just make them feel better that something's done right now. And it gives them that relief, as, such as like going to cash when they're already down. The issue here is since they're already down already, you need to be right, right twice if you're going to make that move to cash, meaning you need to be right when you move to cash. And now you need to be right when you jump back in. So usually before someone feels comfortable enough to jump back in, if they've done that move, because they're, they're obviously a little bit more risk averse and concerned, they're going to need some pretty solid indicators before they jump back in and do this. And by that time, they've most likely lost a lot of the uptick in the market. And now they've lost out. And we've seen people do that. We've actually seen 
Managers do that. And it's just something to be very aware of. To give you an idea, investors will generally feel a financial loss about two and a half times more than a gain of the same magnitude. So it just shows you that they're much more sensitive to a loss than they are to gains. And understandably, many of us experience like a roller coaster of emotions when investing, and this can just simply translate into poor buy and sell decisions. So being aware of those emotions during times of volatility, it'll just help you to stay on the kind of straight and narrow and away from that cycle of market emotions. And Patrice, this is actually one of the bigger advantages of dealing with an advisor since they will guide you through these times mm -hmm. and help you avoid making a wrong decision based solely on emotion in those rough markets. Um, and we see this uh, you know, long-term clients that I've had for, for over a decade, 15 years and six, like you see it all across the board. And it's, that's the whole point of an advisor being there is just to help. Calm the waters for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our job is to make your net worth increase in good and bad times. So in those bad times, it's just to prevent emotional rash decisions that will cost you long-term. And that's actually, let's go back to fees for a second here. Years ago, I, a professor from Emory University, he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal called Intelligent Investor. And he said that a good financial advisor can add on average 1.3% return per year over the long-term to the portfolio, just by strictly behavioral coaching their clients and helping them avoid irrational behaviors when it comes to their investments. That's considerable. It is. And that just goes back to, again, like if you're, if you're paying fees and you're not getting any communication or help or communication on a regular basis, well, there's a, a stat there that helps with that. So it just, it just gives you an idea. And anyways, so that's really it. I uh, just wanted to touch on the four main wealth destroyers for people to kind of be aware of in some ways to, to curb some of that. And uh, as always, if anyone has any questions, you know how to contact me if you've listened to any of those episodes. <laughs> Tell them again. Yeah, just go to my website, threehatsfinancial.ca. There's a contact page and you can just uh, book an appointment directly there or call us or chat or whatever means of communication you want. And of course, be sure to follow this podcast, The Ride, Life, Work and Wealth, to know when the latest episode is ready chock full of more information and share with friends and family. Thank you for listening to the ride life, work and wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront wealth management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. The asset classes featured in this podcast are for illustration purposes only. This should not be viewed as a solicitation of buy or sell. Always talk to a professional before investing to know if the product is right for you. Past performance does not necessarily predict future results. Each asset class has its own risks.